This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There is a sexual element, and because perhaps the fetishization of the doll itself, for many others, they, they are collector's items. And the people, the community of people who buy these dolls and own these dolls um, are, are pretty much from all walks of life. But when you introduce the AI, when you introduce the interaction, that's when it becomes more. That's when it becomes companion-like. Dating is a really essential glue for holding human society together. And I'm worried that as we allocate our time and our resources into these ever-improving forms of entertainment, that we're deallocating it from something that actually makes us secure. Should humans be intimate with robots? The sex tech industry is worth some $30 billion a year, and it's growing. And a part of that? Robots programmed with artificial intelligence designed as sexual and romantic partners. Hello, everybody. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared, and today we're debating what it would mean for humans to start dating and having sex with artificial intelligence. Let's dive in. I want to welcome our two debaters, Kate Devlin, a computer scientist specializing in AI and human-computer interaction, also author of Turned On, Science, Sex, and Robots. Kate, welcome. Thank you very much. And Joanna Bryson, professor at the Hertie School in Berlin and a scholar of AI and ethics. Welcome, Joanna. Thanks. And I also have a PhD in computer science, just to be clear. So, excellent. We have two computer scientists, which which lays the ground for all sorts of jokes, I'm sure, in your <laughs> lives and later on. Uh, before we get to the debate itself um, and, and talk about this question that we're going to discuss of whether humans should be having uh, relationships with robots, particularly of a romantic or sexual companionship nature, I want to ask, because many members of our audience might be coming to this topic for the first time, what do we mean by sex robots? What what are we defining as a sex robot, and what's the state of the technology and actually the overall industry? Do you want to take a first crack at that, Kate? Yeah, I, I hate to disappoint people, but there's really not much out there in terms of sex robots. What we have today are prototypes that come out of the lineage of the sex doll. I mean, these are very high-end, expensive dolls and the companies that make those, and there are only a few, it's just really a handful around the world, are making mechanized versions with some form of robotics in them. So this generally tends to be a little bit of movement, perhaps in the face, and also um, trying to put some AI into it to make them have a bit of a personality. So they're not commercially available just yet. Um, And when people talk about them, they have this this sort of preconceived notion that it's something like out of the, out of movies where you have a femme fatale robot or a cyborg, uh, but we're nowhere near that. All right. Thank you. And Joanne, I, I know you have a broader definition of the term robot. So if you can also take on the question of what is it we're talking about when we talk about a sex robot? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, so I'm normally asked just to define AI and robots. Uh, a robot is a, is a machine that um, can perceive the world, right? So intelligence is the capacity to match your action to the current context. So to take advantage of opportunities and handle threats, things like that. And so a robot is um, an intelligent robot is one that perceives the current context and it takes some kind of action. So yes, indeed, I have a very broad definition of robot compared to some people, but it it matters um, because I would say also like your uh, telescreen, however you want to call it, uh, the thing that you talk to and ask to turn on the radio, um, your mobile phone, if it's a smartphone, these are things that are already robots. They're They're not probably things you have sex with unless you're really into voice, I guess. And actually, I would say that that's one of the interesting things. So these, when we talk about the technologies to do with sex and technology, you can include AI in that as well. That is disembodied and doesn't have a physical form. So people Mm. are developing all kinds of companionship um, and friendships almost with these things that don't even exist in a physical shape. Why is a sex robot not just another kind of sex toy? It isn't. (laughs) Why? Yeah, I, I would say that it's a subset, really. So it is a kind of toy. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm much happier calling it a toy than a companion. I wouldn't say you shouldn't have a, a sex toy. I would say you shouldn't date a sex toy. <laughs> I like that. Um, I would say that it falls under the category of sex tech in which we have these the, the sex toys and the sex robots. And the thing that differentiates them, if you're talking about the sex robot as a humanoid robot, is that it is in the form of a person rather than a discrete part of a person, like like a genitals of some sort. So, but it is still, for all intents and purposes, the 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 idea is that gives it pleasure. But when you introduce the AI, when you introduce the interaction um, in terms of especially conversation or even just the ability to project, I think that's when it becomes more. That's when it becomes companion-like. So that that's where where I think things are going to get interesting. In a sense, we're talking about a field that's still is still being defined, and we're talking about what might be and what should be in in, in what might be. Um, but we've decided to to phrase it around a very general question, should humans date robots? And by date, we mean, as both of you just explained, have some sort of relationship, but with the notion of this relationship being romantic, personal, uh, sexual, uh, and with hints hints of reciprocity as well. So, Kate, you basically, you're saying yes to the question of should humans date robots in that broad sense, I've just defined it. Could you tell us why? And just tell us your thinking on that. Yeah, I think that why not, really? We can form relationships with all kinds of things. And anything that shows any semblance of animism, any kind of reaction to us, we automatically project this idea that it has, it has some form of um, responsiveness in it. So we see people chatting to things like their voice assistants all the time, or even just having the radio or television on in the background in the room to keep them company. So it's very natural for us as humans to have this social rapport with technology. And these days with advances and things like chatbots that can respond to you and things like uh, robots that can have may have humanoid features which can be expressive in a manner that we recognize as being human-like even though they are not they're not capable of sentience not capable of consciousness um we do feel sometimes that the technology is there for us and so as that advances maybe it is possible for us to feel companionship from something that is virtual something that is artificial and there are already examples of um virtual girlfriend experiences uh that people feel um that they have this this virtual um artificial intelligent um girlfriend experience, the idea that they have someone virtual to love them. So it's not too far-fetched. So so if I can summarize what I think you're saying before we go to Joanna, your answer is sort of why not? Uh, a little bit of it can be a good thing. It's a thing that's happening already. And that if uh, an individual human feels a connection some, and feels that he or she is getting something back from the interaction, that that's a good thing. That can That can be a good thing. Do I have that about right? I think it can be a positive thing. I think some people enjoy that and they like the company. And I don't particularly think there's a delusion going on here. I think that people can buy into this and find it comforting. So yes. Do you, and one last question to you. Does does the human user or human side of the interaction, interesting that I use the word user, because I think that's maybe going to point to part of the problem, but could the human side of the interaction, does that person need to suspend disbelief? Does that person need to you use the word artificial, have the sense that it's not artificial or does that not really matter? I don't think it particularly matters. I think we're very, very good at switching um, between uh, different circumstances, social instances. And there's the code switching, which allows us to talk differently to different people, depending on their, their status and their categories. So I don't think it necessarily requires us to buy into some form of delusion. Um, I think we can accept it for what it is. Joanna, you say no to the question of whether humans should date robots. So why are you a no on that? Okay. Well, uh, first of all, I want to be really clear about the way the question is laid out. So yeah, I absolutely don't think we should date. Uh, that does not mean that we can't or that we mayn't. Um, I, I think adults uh, should be allowed to do what they think is appropriate. <laughs> um, sometimes people uh, interpret the fact that I point out that certain kinds of things are impossible, you know, technologically, physically impossible with AI, as meaning that I'm keeping their robots away from them. And so I'm not trying to do that. But, okay. but should we date um, a, a machine? And again, it's not it, the date is really important. We decide not to make this about should we have sex with a machine. 
Um, I, you know, I, I have no problems with people using vibrators, you know, uh, and, and when Kate just talked about companionship, I mean, a lot of us, uh, as maybe everybody feels some companionship if they have the television on, right? So the sound of a human voice already, um, makes it easier to be alone. And there's a lot of good reasons that we might be alone. Uh, right now, we're, we are locked down, but even if you're hearing this in two years and hopefully you're no longer locked down, uh, sometimes you just need to be somewhere and uh, maybe you're trying to be faithful to a companion back at home. So the, the issue really with me is the dating thing. And the problem I have with dating, uh, dating a robot, uh, well, there's two sides of it. One is that the any robot that you're likely to be able to date is something that's been commercially produced. And so it's a product inserted into your home. It's getting all kinds of intimate information about you. Um, it's, you know, if you put a microphone and a speaker and a camera into somebody's house, and then you, and then you uh, put it into intimate uh, physical human spaces, then there's a capacity for organizations to be manipulating you. It's a, there's a capacity for hackers to find out about what you're saying. Now, you might notice that this is already a problem with, with uh, as I mentioned, these natural language uh, devices that people are using. And some people think it's not even ethical to have those in the home. They think there's no way to produce natural language with artificial intelligence without influencing um, the culture and the language of the household. So the fact that you have a device that you tell what to do makes you also more likely to tell people what to do without thinking about emotions. So that's the one side. This, the, the, there's a heavily corporate side that, that I worry about people um, being exploited because it's fun. You know, this is kind of like smoking, right? You know, that, well, do we want to have someone else tell us whether or not we can smoke, even if it turns out to be bad for us? We may, we want, may well want to make that decision. Um, the other side of it is, is more, uh, you know, again, if somebody came up to me and, and there was this product that was super cyber secure and everything was safe and they'd say, do you think I should date this robot? Well, I think, you know, dating is a really essential glue for holding human society together. And I'm worried that as we allocate our time and our resources into these ever improving forms of entertainment, that we're deallocating it from something that actually makes us secure. And again, like I, I mentioned before, there, there may be good reasons to hold yourself off from society right now and, and, and sure, have anything you have uh, behind that. But I, I do sort of worry about what we're telling uh, people if, if they're uh, putting a lot of real emotional attention into uh, a relationship with a device that isn't actually benefited by that relationship um, and, and whether that's the right direction to go. But this is something that's more of a philosophical question. And uh, well, well, that's interesting to get into the philosophical question because this thing is all somewhat speculative at this point, anyway. But are, are you? Am I hearing you correctly, Joanna? Near the end, you were saying that the affection, the attention, the energy that a human could direct towards um, an object, a machine, basically, ultimately is kind of energy going off into the void that it that it's that it doesn't really come back in a meaningful way. Well, you know, that again, there's a big question about what do you think is meaning? So, and mm -hmm. and also I could imagine somebody somehow harnessing all this energy to I don't know, you know, do some kind of science and you could say, "Oh, that was meaningful" or uh, you know, protein folding or energy uh, rallying whatever, I don't know. So somebody could come up with some AI for good reason that you should date a robot. But I I I more worry about um, the time that we don't spend with each other than I worry about the time we do spend with a machine. All right, Kate, can I bring that back to you? Uh, just your your response to to Joanna's points, and particularly the one we were just talking about at the end there, the, the use of time and, and energy. Uh, ultimately, you know, time is a zero-something in an individual's life, and if it, a lot of it is spent focused on a, an object that's not truly human, that that can be detrimental to everyone. What do you think about that? I think it's echoes of a lot of the stories we hear around technology and we've heard similar things around people who play too many video games, for example, or people who use their smartphone too much. And there's this whole narrative that uses words like detox and uh, things that aren't actually uh, necessary because most people manage to regulate technology use pretty well. And I am fairly confident that we are fundamentally human and will seek out other humans because of the limitations of the technology. 
So I, I would prefer to see um, circumstances where technology is used to mediate relationships with each other. But in some instances, it may be that that technology is there as a support when the human interactions aren't there. And I think lockdown is an interesting example of that. There are so many people who are living alone right now who could do with company and could do with this idea of feeling in some way cherished uh, because they're not able to get out there and make those connections. So, so, uh, yeah, the, one of the things, so I used to live in Britain too, and, uh, and we have this, uh, all of the, uh, phone lines are actually owned by, uh, a single company, BT, which is very closely connected to the, uh, government. And, uh, so the government, uh, espionage was, it turned out, looking at all the video traffic that was going through that. And some huge proportion of it was, uh, pornographic going between partners. Right. So because we had at that time such a mobile uh, situation, it was actually some huge and that's horrifying. Again, this is another can of worms, although I mentioned that in my first point that that to find out that your nation is watching your uh, uh, your your porn, your your, uh, whatever pornographic or sexual. I don't know if it's really pornographic when it's with your partner. Um, But anyway, yeah. I agree that uh, there, there are good reasons uh, to, to spend time. Uh, we need to be entertained. We need to take care of our mental health. But at the same time, um, and, and yes, this has been going on. I, I have uh, books complaining about the theater as this uh, terrible <laughs> time. You know, and I'm pretty sure there were people that were complaining about books, but I don't have those. <laughs> um, yeah. Why would that be recorded? Complaining about writing things down because that was going to ruin memory. Uh, we, we, we have these sort of tech panics all the time on a regular basis. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, it, there's no question that society is changing. So I met a woman who was the, uh, the had been formerly the prime minister's wife. Uh, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten which one, but, but she was very elderly and it was Cornwall. I don't know if that clues anybody in. It was about 15 years ago. But anyway, she, she said... You know, when, when, when her partner had originally started uh, uh, um, campaigning, and they would, they, in, Brit- in British English, it's called busking. It's when, like, the candidates get up on, you know, on their soapboxes and actually argue, and they would go from community to community. They still do. But that's my point here. Nobody goes to see them, hardly anyone. You have to be a super geek to go listen to the candidates debate in your community. So when, when her partner had been, had been uh, campaigning, everybody went because nothing else was happening. And she was talking about the enormous drop-off of political engagement that was no longer fully democratized with radio, that the fact that you could stay home and listen to football instead of going to hear the candidates meant that you had a smaller number of people that were politically engaged. So, so yeah, with computer games, we know, again, we all know that some people consider uh, currently like the highest art form. That's an important, amazing thing for a lot of people. And, of course, we care about our culture. But we also, every academic knows that there's a certain proportion of people that, yes, it's an addiction and they don't get out and they drop out of their courses and they don't sleep and, and there's all kinds of issues. So, so this is, uh, yeah, it, it is about dating. <laughs> Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It, it sounds like you both fundamentally disagree on, the, on on that particular kind of risk of people become going down sort of a hole of of attachment to an object to the exclusion of the rest of humanity. So let me let me move on to a different question that interests me. You, you mentioned at the beginning, um, Kate, that the industry such as it is right now kind of grows out of the sex doll industry, and and that's an industry aimed, I think, almost exclusively towards uh, towards heterosexual men in which they are meant to be distracted or entertained or, uh, you know, just to have an interesting time with uh, an inanimate object that resembles, in some fashion, the female body. And I'm thinking back to the first time I ever learned that, you know, Japanese car makers were using robots to build cars. And I had pictured, and instantly, I had pictured a sort of humanoid-looking robot, you know, standing over a 
uh, an assembly line, putting cars together. And I was very disappointed to see what the robot really was, was a series of arms and levers swinging in and out. And it looked nothing like a human being. It looked more like an erector set. No, no pun intended on that at all. But it, 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 looked like, it looked like a machine, a rectangular machine with angles, nothing human. And when we're talking about sex robots now, I think we're all talking about that human fa- shape coming into it. It, it. First of all, are we? Because that would distinguish a vibrator or a series of vibrators on swinging arms from the kind of sex robot we're talking about. And so are we talking about that? Is that necessarily part of this discussion? And what are the implications of that? Okay, so that's currently the form that they take. It doesn't have to be the form that they take, I would argue. Uh, interestingly, the, there's a lot of a lot of weird misconceptions that have grown up around this idea of the sex doll as well, which is that it is um, this object that is primarily used for sex. And yet, if you talk to the people who own these dolls, sex is actually a lesser part of it. So many people are owning these dolls as either uh, companions in a way. So they, they will build stories around them. They will bring them into their lives and integrate them. And that sex is just a part of that. For others, there is a sexual element and because perhaps the fetishization of the doll itself. For many others, they they are collector's items and they are used and they pose them and they photograph them and these are used as models. So there, even that is, is kind of a bit misunderstood. And the people, the community of people who buy these dolls and own these dolls um, are, are pretty much from all walks of life. They tend to have what they tend to have in common is it tends to be, yes, heterosexual men with enough money to buy these things. But there are people who are in relationships. There are people who are married and the doll is part of that marriage. There are people who live alone with, with many dolls. Um, so it really does vary. But yeah, when it comes to robots, the vast amount of robots that we have in the world today are not human-like. In fact, they're not even humanoid. Uh, I would dis- distinguish between the two. I would say we have mechanoid robots, like the ones you talk about in the factories. We have humanoid robots that may have some attributes um, that we share. So perhaps they have things that represent eyes or a mouth or they have limbs. And then you have the human-like ones, the androids and gynoids that are supposed to look like humans. Uh, they're not even abstracted out. They're intended to look like. And those androids and gynoids, there are very few of those. Because physically, it's really difficult to make a human-like robot. It's technically very complex. It's very expensive. It uses a lot of power. Um, it's difficult to do human actions. Uh, so yeah, sex robots at the moment are really just sex dolls with some mechanization in them. But we also have a lot of sex tech out there that's not in human form. And if you think about sex toys, um, often and sex toys have been around for centuries. Um, and in the past, maybe two decades, we've seen a move into very abstracted forms of sex toys as well. So we've moved from replicas of people's genitals, essentially, into these weird and wonderful and almost design-like artistic forms uh, that you could put on your mantelpiece. In fact, I actually have them on my shelves in work. <laughs> that is, that's for work purposes. Um, so you really do see this change in evolution of the sex toy. So why can't we look for that in a sex robot as well? So if I if I could uh, come back in here, I, I we we aren't talking about sex. We are talking about companionship, and and uh, mostly when when Kate's talking uh, and, and dating, right? And mostly when Kate's talking, I'm going, yeah, yeah, that's fairly reasonable. Although you know these technical com- uh, complaints I made earlier, but when she says that they get that people get companionship from these things, I really cringe. I, I, I they get the feeling of companionship, but they don't. Get, they don't get a peer. They don't get an equal. They don't get someone that they can learn also has needs and also has desires. So they, they, they um, of course, uh, some manufacturers are, are building in the request for this, for example, the request for consent, things like that, uh, in an effort to, uh, I don't know, whether they're trying to make it seem more human or they're trying to evade responsibility for teaching bad behavior but it isn't really the same thing as establishing a, a partnership. And while, I, as I said, I, it depends what you think the meaning of date is, but I have no problem with using uh, all these sorts of uh, toys <laughs> as toys uh, and having interesting hobbies. And, in, and indeed, some of them may be works of art. I have no problems with, with works of art. But I really have problems with, with, with describing these things as peers and, and relationships and companionship. 
You just mentioned though the notion of 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 I think programming them to 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 be cons- to perform consent or or not. I, that's a really interesting concept. Is that is that happening? And and what are the implications? of that being part of this process. Well, I mean, yeah, we, again, if you're in the EU, then you have to uh, consent to uh, the web pages. I mean, you don't actually, this is not really a part of the EU law, but but a lot of people are pretending it is to try to get us in trouble. Uh, but anyway, if, if a, a web page uh, holds data on you that it shouldn't, then it has to first get your consent. Uh, and, and what that means is that you click on a link saying, I consent, and most people click through that without even looking at it because it's just really annoying and we're getting swamped by these things. And there needs to be some enforcement because it's clearly a, a sort of a harassment that they're doing to try to get around the, the privacy legislation we have here. Anyway, is that consent? <laughs> you know? and, and then so there's, there are literally people who are writing enormous papers about whether you, you can have meaningful consent between um, a human and a robot. And actually, this is one of the one of the way. Well, the third AI ethics paper I wrote. So my very first experience that brought me into the AI ethics field was working. I was actually a PhD student at MIT, and I was working on a humanoid robot. And people would routinely walk up to me and say, "It'd be unethical to unplug that." And it wasn't even plugged in at the moment. And there were other working robots because it didn't work, so that's why it wasn't plugged in. And there were other working robots around, and nobody cared about them. So that was when I realized that people are overly easy to, to fool. And I'm, I do not have the optimism Kate has around the, I mean, I, I'm sure some people can handle it and some people can't, but I think our proportions might be different <laughs> but uh, of estimate. But that's because these were PhDs from like, you know, MIT and Harvard walking around being sure that they had moral obligation and being proud of generalizing from, you know, feminism and the civil rights movement, recognizing that these robots had, had human rights. And, you know, my attitude, going back to the, the male heterosexual thing, when this, or in this case, uh, whatever your dominant uh, uh, race is, that, that um, if you think that uh, a robot is as much like, uh, say, a white male as a woman is like a white male or a person of, of not whiteness is like a white male. You know, then, then you, I think that there's been an incredible deficit in, in what we've been trying to do, which I guess people know in the civil rights and feminism uh, in terms of education. Are you there suggesting that, actually it sounds to me like you're suggesting that there would be no need to seek consent from a sex robot, that it's there as a tool and when a person chooses to interact with it, that's the person's choice, and there's no, there's no, there no, should be no boundaries to that, what it does with that, say, piece of machinery. And you, but it sounds like you you would agree with that, but that you're concerned that other people don't agree with it. No, 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 no. Okay, so yeah, I, I, I this is where I am trying to take people's robots away from them. Okay, so, <laughs> so the uh, the point is that uh, the, so it's the question about can you have meaningful consent. Um, you know, when there's like a power dynamic, right? So it's considered unethical for a professor to date an undergraduate or something like that, that because there's just such a huge uh, power dynamic that even if, the, that in fact, it's known the subordinate is likely to be deeply in love with the power figure, but the power figure is supposed to resist the temptation because they recognize that that feeling of love is being driven by uh, something that over which the human has no control. Okay, so with AI, the, that what I was trying to say was the first paper anyone read, I tried like two or three papers and nobody read them. And then I finally wrote one and I titled it Robots Should Be Slaves. And then everybody read the title. They didn't read the paper. But if you actually read the paper, what it says is something like, um, we, given that robots are things that are mass marketed, that are owned, that are operated, that, that are programmed, then it would be wrong for them to be people because we have already agreed we should never own people, right? And I think this is similar. The power dynamic between a a human user and and a machine that they've purchased is such that, that calling that consent you know, so so that that you know the robot says, oh yes, yes, please, I'm this is this is going to be meaningful for me. Calling that consent is deceptive. Again, it's not teaching you how to make actually work with with a true partner and somebody that's actually your peer. Um, on the other hand, it would be a, a terrible thing if we if if you just went and you had something that reminded you of a person and you treated it in a bad way. Okay, and that's been agreed since at least Kant. 
You know, there's a Kantian principle that you must not treat dogs badly because they remind people of people. And so whether or not, you know, God cares about dogs, which was the question at the time, um, you shouldn't do it because it would be, make it more likely you'd abuse people. So what you've just heard is that, that I said it's essential f- uh, for a robot that reminds you of a human to, to require consent and also that there's no meaningful way and it's wrong to demand consent. And so that's when you say, well, those two things can't be solved. And so you shouldn't have a companion that reminds you of a human, right? And so that, that, that's where I'm saying, like, I don't think humanoid robots are ethical. Kate, what's your response to all of that? I, I don't think everyone necessarily agrees with Kant. I think Kant has, has said that, but, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily a given. Um, so it doesn't necessarily follow that if you are mean to something that looks real, that it will necessarily translate into real life. And we know from the realms of sexual fantasy that people have all kinds of fantasies and they don't act them out in real life because they're aware of the boundaries. Um, Now, I do have a problem with some of the forms of sex robots because they are reductive, stereotypically reductive female form. Okay. And I think that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, why are we still perpetuating this body image? Um, but I think that's a lot to do with how these are being manufactured and the fact that it's coming out of this, this sex doll area and that the designers of these robots are basically giving the customers what they think they want. I don't think there's a big agenda behind this particularly. Um, and so, yeah, I do. I do think that we can do better. I don't think we necessarily need to have human, identical to human-like robots for this. But why would we need consent from an object? Why do we need a robot's consent when a robot is not real? Uh, so there, I can see how it would be nice to have that and it would make, maybe make you feel better because you've got a machine that is agreeing to do things with you. But this is not a sentient creature. This is not conscious. Um, and yes, if you're buying into it that you've got to treat the machine in this particular way so that in real life you would treat humans in that way, then I can see maybe where the consent angle comes in. But I don't think that's a given. I have to agree that um, it isn't a given, and I want to make a, a again going now back to sex instead of uh, instead of uh, companionship and dating. Um, there, there, there is a ma- it's an empirical matter whether uh, when you bring in pornography, for example, people think oh pornography is terrible, it dehumanizes women. Uh, there's going to be more sexual violence if if you have exposure to pornography. And there was at least a claim for a while that the actual empirical data was that when you brought pornography in uh, to private homes, actually, they they also did experiments on undergraduates, which funnily enough, if you show a lot of 18-year-old undergraduates porn, then they get angry and frustrated because they know professors are watching them. (laughs) (laughs) But, But if you bring it into the private home, uh, then people find things to do that, that provide sexual release, and actually the amount of sexual violence apparently goes down. Now, that those studies were really controversial, and I'm not sure it's been accepted. So like I said, these kinds of things are empirical. And so we, don't, we shouldn't really be having arguments about them. We should be showing that either might be true, and that then people should go out and do the experiments and find out whether it's really changing people's lives. But I believe those experiments are already being done with these talking, these NLP things. And in fact, it does change the language in the household. However, it's possible, well, there's two things. First of all, who cares? Maybe it doesn't, it's not terrible and we'll adjust as, as Kate said, where you know, humans are pretty smart. And then secondly, uh, you know, how, how big is the change? Is it every household? So one of the things that I, I think about when I think about this is like movies, right? You, you go and you watch a movie and you laugh and you cry and you're fully immersed, but you absolutely know that the characters are fiction. Well, at least consciously. If you meet the actors, then you tend to treat them as if they were the characters. So it's not clear that unconsciously you know that. That's a really, really interesting insight, that one. Um, you, you you were just mentioning uh, in passing that there might be some social benefit if uh, if the existence and the the availability of sex toys and sex robots does prove to be a reliever of tension and potentially a reducer of sexual violence. And that's, as you said, completely theoretical, barely tested, and requires testing. But there's another there's another use case uh, that I've read about 
for sex robots and sex as companions. And that is for people who truly struggle to have companionship. We've I've seen writing about the elderly, I've seen writing about people with severe disabilities, that this would be a, a, a benefit for an individual such as that. So, Ken, I want to take that question to you first. Is that a strong part of your argument in, in addition to sort of generally saying sort of why not and it can be a good thing and there, there really can be a relationship? Those specific uses, are, are those an important part of, of making this point? They could be. I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't want to speak on behalf of communities that I'm not part of, you know, so I, I'm not going to say that um, everyone with, you know, I, pr- problems around huge amounts of anxiety and can't go out of the house, whatever, would benefit from this. You know, this is this is a really personal thing. Some people may want this, others may not. Um, but for those who do want that, why not? Sure. Um, and I think thinking back to earlier what Joanna was saying about you cannot have this real companionship because this is not being reciprocated. Um, I would make the analogy there with with pets because, you know, people have cats. Cats, you know, I'm not a cat person really. I like a few cats. I like my friend's cats. But I know that if I had a cat and I was really got a lot of companionship out of it, imagine something happened to me and I died and I was in my house, that cat would eat my face, right? That cat is not going to um, care and respect me like the companion that I thought it was. So I, I'm, I kind of think we do, we project and we get all sorts of companionship from things. And I don't think that having an artificial companion is going to be all that different from a pet. This is leaving out all aspects of sex, okay? This is just purely talking about companionship. Um, I don't think it's going to be that different from a situation where we project a lot of feelings onto something that doesn't reciprocate them. And people are doing that with other humans. There are people out there with crushes on others who don't even know they exist. There are people out there, like Joanna said, people out there who have watched films or read books and you know they've fallen in love with the characters in those things. And they get a sense of really uh, a sense of love, a sense of hope, a sense of um pleasure from thinking about those. And I don't think that that is a particularly a bad thing. I think it could be quite good. So again, this is coming into the, the may versus should uh, thing too. What, what are we saying when we should date? Um, but I, I absolutely, besides the things that you mentioned, there are people who have uh, get strong feelings of sexual gratification from forms of sex that are not uh, good for the other partner. And uh, so I've seen people argue strongly for that case. Um, that, and, and again, that's a huge can of worms because of the people who are saying, is this actually giving them necessary gratification so that they can carry on with their more conventional relationships and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't actually harm anyone or is it encouraging bad behavior? I, uh, I think, again, that that's empirical, but society may not accept the empirical results. Uh, but, but I would encourage us to, uh, if we can. The other thing is that um, monogamy, you know, so so having a, a a fling with a robot may be a lot better than having a fling with another person that could become much more complicated uh, when 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 your partner's away, right? So so this these kinds of things are uh, sort of desirable, but again, the question is just. May we, of course, you know, and 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 then going back to the pets, right? Um, there, there's there's a huge issue around the pets about whether it's sensible to to um, people are saying, well, we need to treat the pets better, and so we're start, going to start calling ourselves parents of the pets. And I totally agree with Kate. There's enormous amounts of projection going on there, and and then self self justification because they say that, you know. Then they think, oh, now that I've established that my pet is just like a person because I call myself a parent, then it's all right for me to keep them locked in the basement all day or whatever, you know, the pack animals kept by themselves. Uh, so the, the, there's a lot of uh, uh, similar problems with pets, I agree. Um, but and, and I think one of the things about artificial intelligence is it does bring us back to uh, questions that we had before that maybe we hadn't been thinking about as much, uh, and, and it gives us another perspective on them. Well, Joanna, how, how about that? How do we, how are we figuring, what is AI helping us figure out about what we mean by consciousness and, 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 and soul or whatever you want to call it? Oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to call those the, necessarily the same thing. Um, if soul means anything to me, it means something like the root of uh, ethical obligation. 
So, mm-hmm. so, so people have, you know, that, that we believe we have moral obligations to each other. We are moral patients. So I think that's more of what soul means to me. Consciousness, on the other hand, is about um, what is it that we've done that we can remember, that we have episodic access, that we can uh, explicitly describe, that we have linguistic access to. So consciousness is a subpart of all the stuff we, all of our intelligence, the, the parts of our intelligence that we talk about, and we, we use that part of our brain for doing planning, for constructing new plans. Now, it's not the, the nature of having, trying to construct new plans is computationally difficult and complicated. And so you tend to be very, very abstract and you're taking risks, um, and you'll, you'll know this if you've ever done a sport that they say you need to stop thinking about it, you need to practice it until it's automatic, right? So consciousness is not always the thing you, you want, but it's useful for certain things, including what we're doing now, for talking and, and negotiating new ideas. All right. By that definition of consciousness, I have no problem saying that robots are already conscious, right? They have everything that you do with AI is explicit. Machines have perfect access to all their memory. Um, in fact, I would say part of what makes machines stupid is that they're too conscious, right? So machine learning is when we're trying to compress all those episodes down into general uh, ideas and whatever, the, the concepts and categories. And that's what humans are super good at. And that's part of the reason that we you know, keeping everything in consciousness is useless. That that's actually slows you down and makes you stupid. So, um, so actually what makes uh, humans better than machines is our unconsciousness. So anyway, but that, that you asked. <laughs> Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Kate, I want to go back to something we touched on in the beginning, which is choices that are made and can be made about what is what is going to be designed into these robots when we become capable of doing it. You, you raise some concerns about whether it's going to be a robot that's based on some sort of especially male idea of what a woman's body is supposed to look like. There's that. But there's also, I just have the question of, of competence, of you know, this performance competence of a robot. What if a robot is, is capable of being developed to be so good at sex that it's better than any human? And what would be the implications of that? Would that be a dangerous thing uh, to have out there? Because then all of us would be competing against robots. <laughs> I'm laughing because... If you see the state of robotics at the moment, we can't even get robots to pick things up without just smooshing them. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, I did say theoretically. Um, I think that that's really a very long way off. I mean, yeah, there, there, there could be the case, I guess, you know, but then we, you could make this analogy that what, what if a vibrator is better at giving you an orgasm than a man ever could be uh, if you're, you know, a heterosexual woman. And so you decide never to have sex with a man again. Um you know that's a that's not a dissimilar question there. So I think that this is this is something mm-hmm. where the fear of this kind of thing we see it coming up time and time again, and it's a fear of loss of agency. It's a fear that we will be replaced by machines, and that isn't limited to sex by any means. We see it along the road of automation, and you know whether or not we're going to lose our jobs, and we we've seen it from the minute we started building pieces of technology like this. So I think that that's a very normal fear, but it's, it's rarely recognized, you know, it's rarely comes to fruition. I think, so going back to what I, what I was saying earlier, the, the, first of all, I totally agree with Kate. Well, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that not everybody has chosen to spend their lives with the person that was the best time in sex they ever had, right? That that's not the only uh, criteria. Um, for, for choosing a human companion. But, um, but, but yeah, there's so much more. And the, I don't think that uh, however uh, good you can get with robotics. Now, I have to tell you guys, you were talking about uh, erector sets <laughs> that, that, and, non, and non-humanoid robots. I've seen some video that maybe it's like that stuff you can't unsee. But, you know, you can, you can bring people to orgasm quite quickly. Um, but, but that isn't necessarily everything there is. 
On the other hand, uh, and again, this goes back to how do you feel about the correct way to treat adult humans? This is the, the, um, if you have less impulse, the less need to uh, get sexual gratification, will you then have the same amount of impulse to create friendships? Well, maybe you'll make even better friendships, you know, because it isn't, it isn't one of the criteria that keeps uh, knocking you out. Um, I, 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 uh, Again, I think I've sort of dug myself down into a hole. I, I have huge respect for Kate to be able to talk about this stuff. Without <laughs> Mostly I do uh. that through um, really bad puns. <laughs> but yeah, but I think that it's, it's, it's really interesting. And there is a certain taboo around these conversations. And you know, people don't want to think too closely or talk too much about sex and technology first of all in academic circles it's quite often seen as being something far too frivolous for study and the idea being that you know why would you do this unless you embed it in some kind of philosophical or health or psychological thing but you know we we should think about the fact that we pleasure is a big part of human life and we don't have to isolate it in some kind of health giving or philosophical grounded way. We can just say, you know, it's quite nice to feel pleasure as humans. Um, so I think that there, you often get treated as, you know, or it's a bit of a joke. It's a bit of a laugh when people start talking about sex robots, but like, like Joanna said as well, this is more than that. This is about thinking of how we work as humans. This is about looking at our own thought processes, our own engagement with society, our own sociality. Um, and that makes it a really, really fundamental part of our lives. Yeah, I, th- I don't think anyone would ever call sex frivolous <laughs> in academia. Maybe, maybe like if you're in some down down some rabbit hole, some one of disciplines. But now that I'm in a social science institution, sex is not frivolous. Um, but but, but uh, on the other hand, yeah, when you say sex robot, then some people are like, oh yeah, they think it's a joke. So let me ask you one final question. Since you're both at the cutting edge of, uh, of, of thought about this, and, and you're, you're both uh, computer scientists and you're uh, working with artificial intelligence and these ethical issues and looking a little bit forward for us, can you t- t- each take a moment to where you think we're likely to go, uh, you know, spontaneously, let me put it that way, if, if, if nobody steps in and tries to control anything, where do you think industry will be taking this in the next 10 to 15 years? What, what will we have in terms of sex robots. And um, Kate, why don't you go first on that? Okay. I don't think that we're going to see the mass marketization of human-like sex robots. I think it's incredibly niche and a, a difficult thing to build and not necessarily a big demand for that kind of thing, for that specific sort of high-end human-like gynoid robot. However, that said, I think that the virtual companion is likely to become more and more common. And that could include the virtual love and sex companion. And that might be disembodied through AI. It could be virtual through things like VR. And if we look at what's happening with conversational AI, with things like Siri, Alexa, Cortana, the companies, Google Assistant, the companies behind those are looking at ways of giving them more personalities to give them that actual human-like attributes. And, and that's a big thing because people become more invested in them then. And that's a, that's a seller. That's, you know, that, that's a way of them marketing. So I think we will see more in terms of conversational AI. I think that we're, it's not there yet. Um, you can pretty much tell after a short conversation that you're talking to a chatbot, but these things go they they get pretty good if you're stuck in a quite a narrow domain and so i think that yes that we will see more of that in the future and it may be that we have these virtual friends and your view on that is still pretty sanguine i mean i i think that we adapt well um if we look at all the technological changes we faced uh, we have always as societies you know adapted it's always the fear is always greater than the reality um we adapt pretty well so i think that would be a do you want to disagree? Yeah, no, definitely we have made mistakes with technology and we've had to roll them back. You know, chemical weapons have been outlawed. Uh, and, and I'm not saying this is a chemical weapon, but the, I mean, what, what you, if you look at, uh, and I wish I, I, I'm no longer as immersed in game AI as I was before I came into the policy uh, university, which has only been a year, but it's been quite a year. Um, but so having more relationships with the game characters is something that people I know have been pushing for. 
Um, and, and again, it's just a way to make you feel yourself, uh, feel better about the time you're spending on the machine. Um, and, and, and which is a special case of feeling better generally. I, I agree that, uh, I, I don't think you'd ever get to a point where you would have, uh, the, the same fullness of relationships as you do. Uh, with somebody who is more or less matched with you, although you can get these uh, the, this uh, supernormal stimulus, um, and and you can get therefore unrealistic uh, expectations that make it harder for you to form uh, a, a life partnership, uh, and that and that is an issue that that uh, that we have to look at. I, uh, there there may be that there will be places that will just totally ban. Uh, human-like AI, uh, possibly. There may be households or religions or something that just decide it's not good. Uh, depending on how it goes with the whole surveillance, surveillance capitalism, all that stuff, we could actually uh, find some societies with no digital artifacts in the house at all in 30 years. You know, I, 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 it's very hard to predict uh, the directions we're going to go. But I, I would assume, basically, that we continue carrying on from the game characters and that the people who can handle this, maybe they will actually learn uh, better uh, relating skills. You know, I'm certainly one of those semi-autistic people that's taken me a long time to get, <laughs> to get the hang of, of understanding how other people work and stuff. So I could imagine having all kinds of really useful guidance through play that would help you uh, actually form better human relationships. Or uh, Kate just uh, mentioned this, but one of her specialties is this use of... Uh, AI and robotics as a conduit between between lovers uh, that that could absolutely happen just like we have uh, massively multiplayer uh, computer games. So you know, I, I just want to say this: I, I think anybody who saw the the title of this debate, whether we should be dating sex robots, and was expecting titillation, maybe you're disappointed. I hope that you are actually really. Uh, enthralled and pleased by the sophistication of this. It did get philosophical, but really, really got interesting. Thanks thanks to the two of you, Joanna and Kate. So I want to thank you so much for coming on and having this debate and doing so in a way that was so civil and informative and really, really to make it interesting. So uh, Kate and Joanna, thank you so much for joining us at Intelligence Squared. Agree to disagree. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode of Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates, Agree to Disagree. Our debates are generously funded by listeners like you and by the Rosencrantz Foundation. Clea Connor is our CEO. David Ariosto is our head of editorial. Amy Kraft is chief of staff. Shay O'Mara is consulting producer. Jennifer Zelmer is our senior researcher. Damon Whittemore is our radio producer. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. And I'm John Donvan, your host, saying thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 